I, wait, why am I, why am I hearing myself? I feel like. Okay, well, you're just trolling. Okay. Uh... <laughs> okay, we're good to go. Five, four. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I just want to give you all a reminder that Kotlin Conf is finally back and returns to Amsterdam April 2023. Conference tickets are already selling like hotcakes, and we also have a bunch of workshops where you can learn directly from the experts and talk face-to-face -face with them. They're held by the Kotlin team at JetBrains, including myself, by Googlers and by community professionals. I'll be there, Hadi will be there, and a lot of the global Kotlin community will be there. So hope to see some of you as well. Go to kotlinconf.com and get your tickets and workshop seats while they're still available. All right, time for some talking Kotlin. You know, I've listened to a couple of our old episodes recently again, so I'm going to do this intro a little bit differently. Today, we are sitting down with Alexi Soshin, and we're going to talk about design patterns in Kotlin. And with me today is my co-host, Hadi. Hey, Hadi. Remember this kind of intro? I don't. Wait, so I long. used. Oh my, yeah. Oh, I, you, you completely took me by surprise there. I'm just like, what, what is he gonna do? It's, <laughs> it's the, he's gonna suddenly say, unfortunately, Hardy couldn't join us today, <laughs> and it's just me. <laughs> Can somebody please step. give me a heads up on things, people? But yes, hi. Hello. How are you, Seb? I'm actually. I'm honestly really excited about today, Hadi, because uh, you might not know this, but design patterns are, are kind of something that's close to my heart. Um, it's something that I kind of got in touch with uh, during university. Um, and the professor who supervised my thesis uh, also held the lecture for design patterns, um, as well as project organization and management, which was also fun, but I digress. So I'm really excited. Uh, Alexi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So, you wrote this book, which our audio listeners uh, can't see. Uh, Let me read out. Called... So it's called yes. Colin Design Patterns and Best Practices. I can't read the little fine print. Build scalable applications using traditional reactive and concurrent design patterns in Kotlin. For now, all our listeners out there. Now, that's a lot of design patterns. Concurrent Is that like the Gang of Four? Design uh, patterns book it... in Kotlin? So there are three parts to that book. Uh, the first part covers the Gang of Four, the classical patterns. And then it also touches on uh, reactive uh, patterns and on concurrent patterns. So concurrent patterns, things like working with coroutines and what patterns coroutines actually implement. I, I want to start this out by uh, motivating the idea of design patterns a little bit uh, with you, Alexi, before people are like, oh my God, all of this is just enterprise abstract factory bean provider interface. Simple I factory bean provider abstract pattern. Yeah, exactly. If you're talking about the spring class. Oh yeah, of course. Yes. Um, so it's not all that, right? You actually talk in your book a little bit about patterns as a general term being a little bit misunderstood as well. Do you want to maybe share a little on that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, patterns uh, help us create a shared vocabulary for all the developers in the organization. And uh, that's why they are so useful. Um, 
for example, I worked at organization that uh, was uh, doing mostly uh, Ruby and I joined it uh, coming uh, from SAP, which was like a big uh, Java company. And at SAP, we were discussing patterns quite a lot. And uh, when I came to that Ruby company, they I, I've seen that they were implementing those patterns, uh, but they weren't calling them uh, like things like strategy, uh, decorator, and so on. So they had either different names or no names at all for them. Uh, and uh, by establishing a common vocabulary, it really helps uh, communicate uh, ideas with other developers saying like hey just uh, let, let's uh, let's make it a decorator is easier uh, than uh, saying let, let's maybe do something that will wrap other objects so we can replace it later on and um, so that's uh, that's why uh, design patterns are still uh, very useful okay so uh i guess the ruby folks did no active record right because if you're doing Ruby on Rails and you don't know Active Record by by name, that's the class I think was called Active Record. Yeah. Uh, okay. On that note, do you think we should uh, be doing UML as well? Uh, so, design patterns and UML are kind of disconnected. Uh, so it's sometimes useful uh, to. No, but I don't ask it in the context <laughs> of design patterns when you talk about. Uh, uh, a standard language so that we each understand each other. I'm saying the same thing. Isn't UML just that? A standard um, no, way uh, of drawing diagrams so that everybody understands it? I think it's too verbose and uh, they are, well, like, I think there are easier ways to draw diagrams than UML. I'm pretty sure of that. Draw quite a lot of diagrams myself. But then your boxes, I need to know what your boxes are, right? I'm yeah. just saying that it, in principle, mm -hmm. it's the same thing, right? Every time I see your diagram, you got to teach me about your diagram vocabulary, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the similar thing. But the question is, how many people actually uh, know how to read the UMLs nowadays? And I don't think that UML is such common uh, knowledge uh, in, in the modern uh, times. Yeah, which I guess goes the same for design patterns, right? I mean, I think that uh, many folks like front-end developers or even back-end developers or many things, pe people don't know many design patterns either, right? Uh, yes, and uh, there uh, are discussions whether the uh, design patterns are still uh, relevant or not. I think some of them are, some of them aren't. Some of those design patterns just found ways into the language. So, for example, if you take the object keyword in Scala and in Kotlin, it's a implementation of a singleton design pattern, which is built into the language. Um, but uh, still, I believe that it's uh, important to uh, call things by their name. I think this is such an, an interesting kind of view of things. It's not... It's not about inventing like a new abstraction that's gonna be better. Uh, it's more about giving the things that people have arrived at naturally uh, just some names so you can talk about them, right? And I feel like it's it's kind of funny because it seems like th the next natural step up from you know if you have a class 
that means you give something a name so you can think about it and talk about it. And then if you compose multiple classes together or if you compose behavior together and you give that a name, then that's just your pattern. So you kind of just kind of start uh, kind of constructing these these things on different levels. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think they also talk about that in the original Gang of Four book that they didn't invent all those patterns. They just gave name names to something they've seen in uh, real world applications so they just formalized that uh, that knowledge so besides talking about code with people what other benefits do you feel do patterns provide uh when programming uh, i think they also help uh, reading the code so often you would look at uh, something and you'll understand, hey, that's that implements uh, implements that pattern, and you would understand uh, that how you should use it or how it should work. Uh, again, like not all of the patterns uh, will be used nowadays, uh, but uh, things like uh, strategy or decorator are still uh, widely used. So, and you would uh, recognize it. Okay, so let me ask you something on this one. If I see a code, if I'm right using the decorator pattern or the strategy pattern or uh, any of the other ones, should I suffix my class names, my types with decorator slash whatever? Hey, you start with the difficult questions. Uh, you, you don't hold anything back. Uh, I, I don't think so. So... Uh, one example is the decorator, and I think even in the original uh, book they say that it uh, should be called the wrapper. I, I don't know why they called it a decorator and not simply a wrapper. Uh, there are simpler ways to express uh, those ideas sometimes, and uh, I, I wouldn't say that you need to prefix or suffix everything. Uh, it depends on the size of your code base. Uh, what are you developing, whether it's a product or a library, and also how you plan for people to use it. Uh, but I don't think there is one particular rule to that. Okay, so now let's say that I'm a new developer to um, the code base or to software development, and I haven't read the Gang of Four, and I haven't read your book and I come across some code, which is a decorator, but it's not suffixed as a decorator. So, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned is that it's easier to recognize these things. How am I going to recognize something if I don't even know what that thing is? And thus, if I have a decorator suffix, wouldn't that kind of hint me at trying to see, hmm, what is this decorator thing? Uh, so I don't think the place is in the name of the classes, uh, but uh, and as you correctly pointed out, if you don't know about anything, there is no way that you can recognize it. Uh, I think a good place for sharing that knowledge would be the documentation of uh, that class and especially how uh, would you use that. And uh, what uh, I would do uh, both with my code and with my architecture is sometimes leave notes saying that that's actually an impl implementation of a strategy pattern or of a decorator pattern or this service is actually a strangler service 
and that way you would leave kind of breadcrumbs for other people <laughs> breadcrumbs. to learn about it. <laughs> Seeing the documentation of code bases, breadcrumbs is 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 a wonderful, accurate way to describe that. So I actually wanna wanna back up a little bit because so the the basis for for all of this currently at least in my mind is is the second edition of of your book and i just kind of want to understand how you first of all why you wrote this book and maybe also why you thought you were the person who was uh most suited to write this book uh so i'll start with the second question i'm definitely not the person that is most suited to write this book I just happened to be that person. And uh, uh, that book uh, started as um, uh, articles on Medium. So it all started in around uh, 2016 when Kotlin was just uh, moving out of uh, beta. And uh, a lot of JVM developers were quite excited about it. Uh, and they also tried to implement the design patterns they knew in Kotlin. Uh, but what uh, they would do is basically just take the Java implementation of those patterns and rewrite it just using um, Kotlin syntax. And it seemed quite wrong to me because, as I said, uh, some of those patterns were already built into the language or sometimes you could do something much simpler using Kotlin because Kotlin is more modern language than Java. Uh, so I started to write articles about how I see uh, those patterns uh, being uh, implemented. And uh, those articles draw interest from uh, Pact Publishing and they reached out to me and, and asked uh, whether I'd like to write uh, that book. That was the first book ever I wrote, and I never had plans to write a book. So I kind of accepted it as a challenge. And it's going to be the last book you ever write, yeah? Uh, I, I don't know. Did, are you saying that because you already read it? No, uh, I'm because saying because it, it's uh, like normally I, I found, I mean, me, I don't want to write any more books, um, but maybe yeah uh, if you enjoyed so, it so uh, i i i'm usually saying that i wrote a book and a half because for the second edition uh, i rewrote about half of the previous book and you've also you've written one more book right uh no i just uh, participated in a book called 97 things every java developer should know so it's a collection of uh, articles uh edited by Trisha Gee from JetBrains. Uh, so uh, I just contributed two pages to that book. No I longer see. a JetBrains, by the way. We still love her, but she's no longer with us. I mean, a JetBrains. She's probably yeah. not hey, going to hey, watch Trisha. this. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't even listening to this when she was at JetBrains. So. <laughs> but still right. greetings. So am I a, I'm a newbie Kotlin developer, right? And really? um, yes, and <laughs> oh. I'm also kind of new to software development. Is your book targeted at me? And uh, no. So when uh, I started working on that book, I 
uh, red uh, Kotlin in action, and I still think that's probably the best uh, the best uh, book for uh, newcomers to Kotlin. Uh, and uh, that book aims to be a continuation. So it does have an introduction. Uh, so you could try and start uh, learning Kotlin from that book, uh, but the introduction is not comprehensive. Uh, it's about 30 pages uh, and it doesn't replace other great books about Kotlin. So I would recommend this as your second or third uh, book uh, for the language. No, but I don't mean it more as a, a book to learn Kotlin. I mean it more as a book to learn about software development and patterns, right? Like, I, I, again, I'm, I'm putting myself as a developer that comes into the scene and says, oh, you know what? I've taken a look at these all these languages and I really like Kotlin. I think it's kind of nice. And then someone says to me, hey, have you read the Gang of Four book? And I'll be like, no, I haven't. Well, then, you know, the, the, the examples on in there, if I'm not mistaken, used to be with C++, right? C++ and Smalltalk. Yeah. So what should I do? Should I, should I go and buy that book or should I buy your book? Because it will cater better for, for me as, as, as the target audience. Yeah, I believe that um, the original Gang of Four would be quite hard for uh, modern uh, developers. Uh, and I, I would recommend either one of the design patterns books on Java, or if you're starting with uh, Kotlin, then uh, my book is also a good option, I believe. Of course, you say that because you're the author. Now, of course. let's go back to one of your um, readers and someone who's reviewed the book. Seb, what is your opinion on the matter? Uh, I honestly think it has a, a very nice overview and kind of, at first I was a little bit skeptical uh, because, you know, design patterns can mean a lot to, to a lot of uh, different people. Uh, but I personally really enjoyed kind of going through the book uh, and and kind of, you know, refreshing my memory and also seeing how other people take these a little bit more abstract concepts uh, and kind of pour them into a concrete form. I have uh one more one more big question here how do people usually would you say arrive at design patterns is it something where they really read a book and then they're like oh this is a way that i could structure my code or is it the other way around is it saying like huh i've always written my code this way i didn't realize that there's a name for this what i what i've kind of been doing intuitively or how does that usually come to be? Uh, I don't think there is one way to arrive to that. And you you basically described uh, two different uh, roads to, to the same point. Because some of us have started their career, uh, career like from uh, university uh, or some other kind of formal learning. And then maybe they read the book even before they started to write uh, their first major applications uh, and projects. And some other developers, like the Ruby company that I mentioned before, they were great developers that were developing for years. Uh, but uh, uh, they kind of started to organize uh, their code in um, mm, 
in a way of this, of a of patterns uh, later in their career. So I don't think there is one way, but in the end, what what's important is that we learn from experience of others and kind of adopt the best practices. Best practices, right? The best practices, I think sometimes people forget that best practices need context because yeah. what best practice for you may not be best practice for me. And that takes me to another question I have for you, which is, you know, I, I've recently been giving a talk uh, and I actually have it scheduled this week as well. Um, are you, by the way, are you going to be at Kotlin Dev Day in Amsterdam? No, unfortunately, no. my talk wasn't accepted. Not this uh, year. Oh, okay. Because um, I'm I'm giving the talk there as well, and it talks about complexity, and and I generally feel like as an industry we kind of endorse complexity and and we seek it. And so, if I'm starting code, if I'm starting a new project, many of the design patterns that we talk about are also done in light of future extensibility and change and, and, you know, um, foreseeing something that may be needed later on down the road. Do you think that we sometimes take that too far and introduce a series of complexities and patterns that we don't actually end up using? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we've all seen, uh, uh, see, seen that happen and also met some developers that would try to put as many design patterns uh, as possible in the same project. Uh, and I think the <laughs> better <laughs> way, so. uh, of course. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think uh, the, the better way is to refactor using design patterns. So at, at first you may not need that abstraction, but later on you may see that, hey, here I need a behavior that changes or here I need to interact with some complex data structure. And that's when you uh, introduce and uh, those design patterns. It, it just makes me laugh because at one point in my career when I was doing consulting, I came across a code base that had actually categorize their code based on the patterns they were using <laughs> and not on the actual what the code was doing like they had folders oh, right. that, that that's uh that, that that's fine uh, i've heard of an engineer that uh, as his uh, biggest achievement he mentioned that he managed to implement all of the all design patterns design <laughs> Yeah, in the same project, and that that he was serious, like it was his achievement. So yeah, like we we shouldn't we, we should use it where where it works. Um, I on the other hand, uh, I think people sometimes forget why some of those design patterns are used. So we complain a lot about uh, Spring uh, naming and being like a bunch of abstract factories. But they had some good reasons. Maybe those re reasons are not so much relevant nowadays. But when they developed that and designed that, you wouldn't be deploying your application 20 times a day. You would ship your application to the company. Uh, and uh, to redeploy it, you would need to go there and probably 
uh, bring another jar uh, uh, with you. So, and that's why they abstracted everything. So you could over the phone tell uh, uh, those uh, IT people in the other company, just change uh, those XML files, redeploy your application and it will work. So that's why they made it over abstract and over configurable. But nowadays we usually don't need that. We just redeploy our service. I really think that this is this is such an interesting advice for for newcomers, or probably also for for people who read your book, or or probably any programming book for that matter. Is just because you now know how certain things are done doesn't mean you should use it like everywhere. Uh, I I think, and this is also something that I sometimes think about with my uh, with my videos on Colin, like the the video that we recently did on context receivers. Um, Context receivers have like a very specific uh, place in the language, but I am sure that there's going to be this honeymoon phase where people are like, okay, there's context receivers, they are new, so I have to use them. Like, let's find a place where I can use them. Maybe I'll just use them everywhere. Yeah. I think uh, we can uh, have an example from the Kotlin world when uh, we had uh, the uh, scoping functions, the run, let, and uh, uh, also and people would try to use them everywhere like not having any ifs in your code just have those chain of scoped functions and yeah that didn't work out that well and yeah like th there are uses uh, scoping functions are great for a lot of things but you shouldn't just go and forbid ifs in your code and only use scoping functions but it's uh, i think the, the the main takeaway kind of to to exercise restraint is I feel one that maybe should be emphasized a little bit more sometimes. It's like, you now know that this exists, but it doesn't mean you should use it everywhere. Uh, the simpler solutions sometimes still work, uh, shocker. Um, you just have another tool in your toolbox. Shouldn't become the situation where now that you have a hammer, everything's a nail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally reminds me again of the anecdote that I repeat multiple times with Resharper. Uh, which is one of the tools we make in C-sharp. And when Link came to C-sharp, which was functional programming, we made a tool in an action in ReSharper that would take your existing code and convert it to a Link expression. And people just went wild. They literally took loads and loads of code. And it was quite good in that it would do even very complex uh, code. And uh, we actually had to introduce uh, convert Link to imperative in a subsequent version because people just started to just use link everywhere absolutely everywhere and that's also something that happened with java streams where like yeah. every code should be rewritten in a java java stream and yeah it's not like sometimes it's very useful but not everything uh, should, should be a stream right yeah and going back a second to the gang of four where we discuss different patterns right um, how many of those would still be applicable to Kotlin and how many of them would kind of, because, you know, obviously the gang of four is very much oriented around object oriented programming <laughs> and, uh, Kotlin is, you know, a, a place where you can do functional programming and object oriented programming. 
and there's 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 that school of thought that oh the gang of four book is rubbish because all of those problems don't even exist if you're using functional programming right so do you kind of struggle to keep that balance in your book or do you even talk about it so i do talk about that and so <laughs> there are uh, a few points uh, i i would like uh, to mention uh, first it's very important what exactly are we developing so in the original gang of war they were developing i think some kind of a text editor uh, most uh, most of the book and that's why it made a lot of sense to use both object oriented which was popular and all those uh, design patterns as well and uh, now you, you still uh, develop things like text editors, we still develop uh, things like games, and making objects of that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and in a lot of those applications, design patterns are still very useful. Uh, in other places where we have more of a stream processing, data processing, uh, functional programming would be more useful. And if we are talking about microservices it's probably a combination of those so it's it really depends on uh, like what what exactly are you developing uh, and uh, ba based on that i would say some patterns would be more useful or less useful to you uh, one of the less useful patterns i always found in the original book was the flyweight uh, which has, was kind of a way to save memory but now we have Android that tries very hard to save memory and they actually use flyweight uh, under the hood for uh, many, many things. Uh, so it, it really depends on uh, what, what's the type of application we are talking about. I hope that answered your question, Hadi. Well, yeah. <laughs> Close I mean... enough. Close enough. We'll, we'll, we'll let you. We'll, we'll, we'll let you have that one. It's okay. Um, but do you actually uh, do you have any recommendations or or design patterns for people working with uh, with streams or uh, with immutable data structures as well? Uh, so reactive uh, design patterns are all about uh, streams and. Uh, uh, immutable uh, data structures. Um, it's not so much design patterns anymore, like a collection of best practices, uh, more about architecture, how you architecture your uh, system. Uh, and I, I discussed that in, uh, in my book as well. And also like concurrent uh, design patterns may, may be of interest for uh, those that are doing steam processing. I think I actually want to talk a little bit more about concurrent design patterns because when you hear that term, I feel like, first of all, the community is going to jump up and say, oh my God, yes, I need this because coroutines have have always been a hot topic. Uh, I see a lot of tweets now that we are writing the second edition of Kotlin in Action. A lot of people are asking, is it going to include coroutine content? And by the way, yes, uh, it is. Um, but I believe that your book also contains a bunch of uh, of coroutine-related uh, content, right? 
Yeah, that's correct. And uh, it starts with even the basic things like Java Future or uh, uh, Kotlin's Deferred. It is an implementation of a design pattern, of concurrent design pattern that is called Deferred Value. Uh, so we call it by different names. Also, sometimes it's called Promise, but it's all, all the same. So when uh, JavaScript developers say, say that, that, hey, we, we don't, don't have, have uh, any design, design patterns, patterns. You, you have, have you just they have vows. They don't have even promises. They have vows. So that's one thing. And uh, another uh, even bigger thing is the structured concurrency uh, that uh, Kotlin introduces. Kotlin and uh, coroutines. And again, it's less about design pattern and it's more about the actual ideas. Uh, but I think it's a super powerful idea and that's uh, and embedding that into the language and into that main library. Uh, it's uh, it, it's going to change a lot of uh, things of how we develop concurrent applications. It's already changing, like uh, things how uh, the ways we develop them. Do you think people have already like really grasped and embraced these concepts that come from from coroutines? Um, so I think. Well, that's a difficult question. What does it mean to embrace? Because I, I mentioned earlier that we kind of, uh, in the Kotlin world, try to use uh, the scoping functions everywhere. And that's also what uh, the same thing we did with coroutines. So when the coroutines came out, like they were everywhere. Uh, and even things like that you shouldn't be wrapping in a coroutine when wrapping a coroutine. And I think uh, Roman uh, Elizarov wrote quite a lot of medium, great medium articles about like when you should use coroutines and when you shouldn't use coroutines. So, uh, yes, I think like people are embracing them because they are they great. Uh, coroutines are great; they work uh, great out of the box. Uh, but what is more important is. Uh, people starting to understand the problems of uh, concurrent programming and uh, how the structured concurrency in Kotlin addresses those problems. Uh, and uh, I, I worked with uh, in, in companies that were uh, doing Go and Go kind of pushes that idea of uh, Go routines. Everything is a Go routine. You just uh, uh, need to do go on a function and it will run in a go routine. It's great. Uh, but then uh, people don't ask, how do I cancel a go routine? How do I receive a, a response from a go routine? Uh, things, uh, things like that. Uh, and uh, only when you get deep into developing Go, you understand how much, uh, how difficult it is to, to manage uh, to manage go routines and uh, I think uh, structured concurrency in Kotlin addresses exactly those uh, difficulties so the, the more people start working with go routines the more they uh, with coroutines the more they understand the difficulties of them and the more they understand also the benefits of structured concurrency hope that answers your question sure um 
so maybe just to kind of round it out, uh, what kind of mistakes do you see people make often that maybe also inspired some of the content in your book? Um, so the, the most common uh, mistakes is things like wrapping something in a coroutine and not waiting for results or vice versa, uh, running a coroutine and immediately blocking for the results. That's uh, something I also see uh, often that people would run a coroutine and immediately do await not allowing it to run. Also, there is still a lot of confusion. What should be a suspending function and what should be a, a coroutine? So when it is a suspending function, when it is a, it's, should be an async or a launch uh, function. Um, so yeah, I think that's the main three uh, problems I've seen. Uh, of course, there are more major structural problems around as well. Okay. And in regards to design patterns outside of the concurrency, and was there anything there where you thought people are kind of misusing or misunderstanding parts? Oh, that's a really uh, difficult question. So I think uh, <laughs> uh, Hadi already mentioned that uh, often we would uh, implement design patterns too, too early uh, when, uh, when we have... Uh, uh, abstract uh, factories everywhere and nobody actually creates any dynamic in any objects dynamic in the dynamically and things like that or nobody ever extending them um but uh, yeah it's it's kind of hard for me to generalize like if there is one evil uh, design pattern that everyone gets wrong um no i i cannot think of any of that from from the top of my head okay and before we go to hardy with the weather um <laughs> i i one last question what's your favorite design pattern is that an interview at uh, some enterprise in the <laughs> 20, 20 2010 uh, i i don't i don't have a favorite one and that's also what i always answered like uh, it's it's a tool in the box. Uh, do you, do you prefer your uh, hammer or your uh, screwdriver? The hammer, actually, a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> totally oh, hammer. Okay, uh, uh, then then I'll go for decorator. Decorate everything. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, so a hammer is great. So I'm not sure. Maybe some viewers have seen this, but I actually have a framed picture of the adapter design pattern. <laughs> uh sitting in my room intervention uh, intervention <laughs> uh the backstory of that is one that will maybe be told at some point intervention okay you need help Seb. and talking maybe. about help how is the weather outside maybe you need to go get some fresh air oh for, that, sorry that was a question for me uh yes sunny sunny actually um sunny so honestly, judging by this weather, I can probably shed this hoodie and uh, you know go for a little walk afterwards. Step outside, get some right. vitamin D. You know, ready get the get the blood pumping. Mm. It's gonna be great. Alexi, cool. Alexi, you are located in London, London. Is that right? I'll be there tomorrow. So it's pretty sunny today, but with London, you can never know what will be tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take two t-shirts. 
What, one for bad weather? <laughs> In case it's cold, I'll put a second one up. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's uh, that's what normal human yeah, beings do. That's right? what normal human beings do. Okay, great. Well, uh, we're out of time. Uh, Lexi, it's been great having you on the show. Congratulations on the book. Uh, we'll make sure that uh, in the next occasion, next event, you should be there signing copies, right? And, Thank you uh, so much. Yeah. Until uh, until then. Yeah. Thank Talk you. to you soon, and see you all in the next episode. Take care. All right. I don't think we're doing this whole outro thing anymore with the whole like and subscribe, but in case this is still in the episode somehow, you know how to click the bell and do all of that. But. Thank you.